calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You're listening to Dragon Ore, book three of the Dawning of Power trilogy, written and read by Brian Rathbone. Thank you for listening. Chapter 17 The greatest gifts are those not expected. Missa Banks, healer and mother. The wind blowing in her face, Katrin let the salt air refresh her and keep her alert. With Prios to bolster her, she kept the ship sailing on the winds. Others had tried to help, those who had heard Prios in their minds, but Katrin was unable to connect with them. Their energy was inaccessible to her, and she decided it would be best if it remained that way. Only during storms and times when Kenward thought there might be fish did she and Prios rest. Although some of Kenward's recent requests for time to fish seemed contrived, and Katrin suspected Benjen convinced him to lie for the sake of getting her to rest. In truth, she scolded herself for abusing Prios. How she used her own energy was her choice, but she had no right to choose for Prios. Seeking him out, she sat beside him and apologized. You have not coerced me. What I've done, I've done of my own free will. I am free, and no one will ever enslave me again. For now, I must rest, and so should you. Though she left feeling silly, it made Katrin feel better to know that she was not misusing her relationship with Prios. His dedication to her cause bolstered her will, and she went to her hammock, smiling. Soon, she would be home. She's coming, Master Jarvis said as he tucked away the message. Yes, Humbry said. I heard. Wendell has not always been my favorite person, but he always seemed to have good sense. It would be good to see him reunited with his daughter. You had Katrin as a student, didn't you? I did. She was an average student. If I remember correctly, she was easily bored. But she was a good girl overall. I don't think she would hurt any of us. Well, except maybe for Edling. Humbry chuckled. Has Baron been at you to side with Edling again? 
<laughs> he never stops. I thought he might follow me here, Humbry said. I don't care what they say, Jarvis. I think we should try to make peace with Wendell and his followers. They disobeyed a council edict, Master Jarvis said, though it was an edict I was tempted to go against myself. I just don't see how we can convince Baron or Baker Hollis. I'll do what I can, Humbry said. A day doesn't go by that one of them doesn't show up at my farm and talk until my ears hurt. Maybe this time I'll do the talking. No one's ever going to believe this, Kenward said as the slippery eel skimmed across the water. Perhaps it's a tale best not told, Nora said. The best ones always are. On that, we agree. I worry about them, though, Kenward said. They've been at this for weeks, and Katrin is becoming more and more reluctant to take time for rest. It will do no good to reach the Godfist in time if she has no energy left. The physical exhaustion alone would be enough to put most men abed. Women are tougher than men, Fasha said. Prius doesn't seem to be faring poorly, Kenward countered but Fasha just rolled her eyes and walked away. Hopefully, he will not have to endure much longer. It's impossible to say how much time we've saved, but I think we should be getting close. I agree, Nora said. Walking to where Katrin and Prios stood in what looked like a deep meditative state, Kenward cleared his throat and spoke softly, hoping not to startle Katrin. The thought of his ship suddenly dropping from the air made his stomach hurt. Can I talk with you while you work? Yes, Katrin responded, her eyes still closed. It's more difficult when I divide my attention, but I can do it for a short time. We should be nearing the Godfist, Kenward said, and he would have sworn the ship surged ahead at his words. Normally, we would only dock at the cove or along the southern coast, but I can't say what things are like on the Godfist these days, and I want your opinion. It would take too long for us to travel around the desert, but I also agree that we should probably avoid the harbor. Besides going to the harbor, Benjen said as he approached, landing on the northern tip of the Godfist, where the Jean built their lift system may be the shortest and safest route. I agree, Katrin said. It's settled then. With their destination set, Katrin felt a renewed sense of urgency. The duration of their voyage and the additional burden of propelling the ship had dulled her panic, despite knowing her father was in no less danger. There was simply no more she could do, and she made herself accept it. Beside her, Prios made no complaint, but she could sense his exhaustion as poignantly as her own. Cold weather made their task even more difficult. Still, Katrin could not relent. Not yet. 
every moment brought her closer to the Godfist, closer to her father and her home, and she doubted she could sleep even if she tried. Sails to port, sir! The lookout's call sent a chill through Katrin as she realized they must be getting very close. The vessel on the horizon had the look of a fishing boat, and it seemed unlikely that they would be more than a day from shore. Katrin, Kenward said, I don't think we should let anyone see us sailing like this. It might cause a panic. We should make the rest of the trip under sail alone. Though she agreed with his sentiment, Katrin was loath to release the energy that flowed through her and when she did, her exhaustion became acute. Still, she refused to leave the deck, despite the icy winds that drove in heavy cloud cover. She didn't want to miss the first sighting of the godfist, and she remained at the prow, straining her tired eyes. Prios showed that he had better sense, and went to his cabin to rest. You can't be thinking of going, Jensen asked. Wendell unrolled the message and read it once again. Wendell, the people have suffered enough. Let us put an end to this struggle. Come to the Master House immediately so that we might settle this matter peacefully. This letter will serve as notice to all guards. Wendell Volker is to be assisted on his journey to the Master House and he is to be treated with respect. I will await you, Master Edling. It's obviously a trap, Jensen said. We must at least make an attempt at peace, Wendell said. I owe that much to Katrin. Jensen looked angry and frustrated. You'll go alone, into the hands of those who've already tried to have you killed? I know who we are dealing with, Wendell said. Edling is not all-powerful. There are others who remain that have good sense. I'm sure if I could just talk to Jarvis or Humbry, I could convince them to truly make peace. This entire meeting is on their terms. I don't like it. We should request neutral ground. I don't like it either but I'm saving my energy to fight for peace instead of territory. I suppose you have a point, but I still don't like it. Land! Katrin called out, proud to have been the first to see her homeland in the distance, and the sight of it was agonizingly sweet. She longed to raise the ship up and fly, but she honored Kenward's wishes. Chase and Prios came to stand by her, just as she caught a whiff of cold but stale air. We're almost there, Chase said, but there was something else in his voice and stance. Looking to the sky, he sniffed. Do you smell that? I smell something foul, Katrin said. It smells like the shallows did before the mountain exploded. Chase stayed a moment longer, then went in search of those he wanted to thank for all they had done for him, which left Katrin and Prios alone. We're nearing my home, Katrin said, but I doubt I'll be welcomed. 
there are more dangers ahead, and I'll not ask you to take any more risks. You've done enough. You deserve to live the rest of your life happy and free. I go where you go, no matter what dangers we face. Thank you, she said, unable to find words that would express what she truly felt. Clouds gathered and darkened the late afternoon, and the foul smell grew stronger, as if the clouds themselves were rank. Cold wind descended and drove the slippery eel through choppy surf. Katrin went to her cabin in search of warmer clothing. In her pack, she found the jacket that Rolf Tillerman had given her, and she pulled it on for the sake of sentiment as much as warmth. Benjen entered the cabin. Chase, Strom, and Osborne are waiting in the galley. I think we all need to sit down and plan out our next moves. We're not out of danger yet. Let's go. The heat of the galley was a welcome change from the frigid air on deck. Katrin sat next to Chase and made eye contact with Strom and Osborne, but no one spoke a word as they were faced with fears they could no longer deny. Katrin wondered if her father and uncle were alive, or if Strom and Osborne had family left to go home to. Fear knotted her stomach and she began to sweat. Benjen must have sensed the mood as he entered the galley. Whether good or bad, the time has come to get the answers to the questions we've had. Though I hope we can all be reunited with our loved ones, we must prepare for the possibility that we may have suffered losses as well. No one else spoke. A pall of sadness hung in the air. Do not mourn what might not be lost. Be strong for a short time more, and then we'll know. Get your packs ready. Kenward has given me coin and some supplies in case we have need. As if summoned, Kenward entered. Sorry I'm late. We're not far from what looks to be the new northern harbor. There are plenty of lights. We can come in quietly at the very last dock and probably not be seen, but it's doubtful. Most likely, they'll know you're coming. We can go farther east, but not under darkness. The reefs are simply too dangerous to approach after dark. What do you think? Katrin asked everyone gathered. This is our homeland, Chase said. I say we land tonight at the new harbor. We need to be careful, Benjen said. I agree with Chase, Strom said. I say we land now. Me too, Osborne said, and everyone turned to Katrin, waiting for her vote. We land now, she said. Gather your things, Kenward said with an enthusiastic smile. You will be home soon. Only a few lights remained as the slippery eel glided into the harbor. Katrin had already bade farewell to Kenward, Fasha, Nora, Brother Vaughn, and the rest of the crew, and already she missed them. Three fishermen watched the eel with fear and suspicion 
as she glided into a slip. The crew scrambled to secure the ship and drop the gangplank. Tears filled Katrin's eyes as she waved a final farewell. Then she walked down the plank. Not liking the way the narrow walkways along the docks moved as she walked, she held her breath until, once again, she placed her feet on the firm soil of the godfist. Ahead, the three fishermen stood at a long table, cleaning fish by torchlight. Even in the darkness, seabirds gathered around to fight over the scraps. The men stopped and watched as Benjen, Katrin, Chase, Strom, Osborne, and Prios walked by. All three had the look of the Greatland about them, and none chose to speak. Good evening, Katrin said as she passed. The men just stared back, seemingly frozen in fear. How do we get up there? she asked, pointing to the lights that still illuminated the lift. One of the men pointed to a wide path that led to the lift, and she supposed she would just have to find out when she got there. Her heart raced at the sight of shadowy forms moving at the base of the lift and voices that floated from the shadows. When they reached the torchlight, the area was clear, and a man was extinguishing the remaining torches. The other people were packed into one of the large wooden boxes that were attached to massive lift ropes. Like oversized crates, the lift boxes could transport people and goods to the tops of the steep cliffs. Wait, Benjen said as the man approached the last torch. We need to get to the top. Not tonight, you won't, the man said. This is the last trip up for the day, and we're full up. You'll have to come back in the morning. Who goes there? A voice called from inside the box, and the door flew open. Katrin recognized Cattleman Gerard before he managed to squeeze out of the crowded box. Benjamin, Is that really you? Greetings, Gerard. It's good to see a familiar face. Benjen said. Where's Wendell? He's gone south of the wall for the peace treaty. Won't be back for days. How about Jensen? He's in Lowerton. Where? Chase asked. Ah, yes, sorry, Gerard said. I forgot. Lowerton is the new settlement, south of here but north of the wall. He turned back to the people in the box. Hey, you all get out of there. These people need to get up top right now. Hurry up. A debate raged briefly within the box. Then Katrin heard someone say her name. A moment later, people poured out. Watching Katrin and her companions as they boarded the now empty crate, no one said a word. Cattleman Gerard entered the giant crate, which could easily hold 40 people and closed the door behind himself. Katrin watched through the cracks as one of the men yanked on a long rope that hung down from above. Slowly, the crate began to rise into the air, swaying gently at first, but sudden movements often sent it swinging into the timber framework, which groaned in response. Katrin and the others held on tightly to loops of rope that hung on the walls at regular intervals. 
a platform came into view, and the crate stopped above it, making them step down as they disembarked. But Katrin didn't care. She was another step closer to her father. The others could go to Lowerton and search for their families, but not her. She was heading south. What is the wall you mentioned, she asked. Edling's wall is what they call it, Gerard said, and already Katrin didn't like it. They built it after we fled the cold caves. They hit us while we were vulnerable and drove us as far north as they could. And since then, they've held us here. They've been building the wall to divide the north from south ever since. But now there are talks of peace. Your father has gone to the master house to end the fighting. Determined, Katrin grabbed a nearby torch and began marching south. The others scrambled to catch up. Have you seen my mother or Miss Maris? She heard Strom ask, and she slowed a bit so she could hear the answer. They're in Lowerton, along with Jensen and Osborne's parents. They've had no end of worry over you, and it'll be an honor to escort you to them. Katrin nodded, her heart lightened to know no one else stood to lose a parent. Quickening her step, she challenged the rest to keep up. Chase reached her side and cast her a sidelong glance. You're going to the master house? I can't risk losing him. I have to go. I'm going with you, Chase said as he grabbed her by the arm, making her stop. I'm coming too, Strom said. Benjen crossed his arms over his chest, and Osborne did the same. I can't protect all of you. I can only protect myself. I must go alone. No, Benjen said. His stance and that of the others told Katrin that none of them would back down, and she relented. Somehow she would have to keep them all safe. Gerard led them along a well-trodden roadway, and after a series of sweeping bends, they gained the shelter of the valley. Ahead waited a bizarre town. "'Welcome to Upperton,' Gerard said. Along the dirt roadway stood cylindrical wooden buildings, and Katrin gasped. The others turned as she stopped, her hands covering her mouth. There stood what remained of the mighty Great Oaks." and Katrin was filled with gratitude that they would live on as shelter for those in need. It seemed a fitting tribute. Why did you use the Great Oaks? It was cold, Gerard said. We needed housing. Your dad suggested we use the fallen Great Oaks. It was a lot of work getting them here, but we used the ships we had to tow them to the lift. Took all our ingenuity to get them up here. But a couple of Greatlanders came up with the way to do it. Heck, they dragged a bunch of them to Lowerton as well. Men and women gathered in the streets despite the cold, and Katrin guessed news of their coming had preceded them. No one spoke as she and her companions walked into town. Just as Katrin could make out the faces of the townspeople, a cold wind gusted, bringing with it the foul smell. Everyone watched in horrified amazement as snow began to fall, for it was no ordinary snow. 
as if dipped in blood, each walnut-sized flake was a deep crimson. The people of Upperton moved back into their homes, driven by fear. Surely this was a bad omen, and Katrin felt a wave of futility wash over her. What could be worse than having the darkest possible portent coincide with her return to the Godfist? The storm intensified, casting a filter of red over the entire landscape. Soon snow began to accumulate, making it look as if the land were bleeding. The sound of wings caught Katrin's ear, and she turned to see three birds flying south. Everywhere she went, it seemed someone was watching and waiting. We can't make the journey to Lowerton in this, Gerard said, whatever it is. I doubt we'll be welcomed into anyone's home now, Strom said. I don't know how you do the things you do, Katrin, Gerard said, but I don't believe that this has anything to do with you. I was there when you were born. You're no threat to me or any other right-minded person. You can stay with me tonight, and we'll set out for Lowerton with the sunrise. By then, the snow should have stopped. The insides of the great oak buildings were remarkable. Much of the furniture was carved directly from the walls, and the furniture that was freestanding was obviously made from the same wood. With the exception of the stone hearth and chimney, the mighty trees provided all the needed materials. There's not much food these days, Gerard said as he brought out a wooden platter covered with nuts and dried berries. Next year will be better. When the terraces are complete, we'll have all the food we need. The Greatlanders have it all figured out. Until then, we just have to squeeze by. I thank you for sharing what you have. Benjamin said. It was a long journey, and it's good to be home and with friends. That's probably where you should stay, Gerard said. Katrin believes her father is in danger. That he is, Gerard said, and he went there knowing it. He went because he believes there's a chance to end the fighting. If you go south of the wall, you might just ruin our best chance for peace. Katrin sat, staring at the fire, conflicted. How could she put everyone else at risk on the basis of something she did not understand? In her gut, she knew. She had to go south. Every instinct agreed. I'm sorry, Gerard. I mean no disrespect. But I must go. I know my father is in trouble. And if he's in trouble, I doubt peace will follow. Sometimes we must follow our feelings, Gerard said. If you're going, the best place to get over the wall would be the eastern guardhouse. There are no breaks in the wall near there, but the wall is not very high. We keep a close watch on the guards, and the two fellows stationed there are terrified of you. Carter Besson and Chad Macab. Their only job is to make sure no one comes over the wall and they seemed to be getting a bit complacent. The names slammed into Katrin, and sudden memory overwhelmed her. Once again, in her mind, she entered the clearing where Peton, 
Carter, and Chad were attacking Osborne. In her mind, she saw Peyton charging down on her, then the world flying away. I'll wager they are scared, Strom said. I would be too. Katrin came back to herself. In a moment that seemed to prove she would someday heal, she laughed. We're going to scare the wind out of them. First, Benjen said, we have to get there. I suggest we get some sleep. It's going to be an early start. Knee-deep crimson snow blanketed the landscape, giving everything a surreal appearance, which made Katrin feel as if she were walking in a dream. She pulled her hood closer as the wind blew, and drifting snow clung to everything. Beyond a large rock overhang, though, the wind died, blocked by natural rock formations. Not far ahead roared a swollen red waterfall, and Katrin recognized the plateau from afar, suddenly realizing that she was now approaching it from the same direction as the Jean army had so long ago. Most of them had died here. Looking around, Katrin noticed large mounds on the valley floor, and she no longer had to wonder where those she killed were laid. A great sadness welled up in her as they passed the gaping wound in the plateau, though it was already partly overgrown with bushes and trees that poked out of the snow. Beyond, Katrin saw the terraces for the first time, like giant snakes one on top of another, following the contours of the land, the low stone walls made for a mind-bending view. As soon as she saw them, their design made perfect sense. By creating narrow but level platforms down the slopes, they gained much valuable land for planting. The roadway ahead was obstructed, as a crowd of men worked with hammers and picks to finish the construction of a terrace. Two men argued in the middle of the road, and they seemed oblivious to the group as they approached. Then one of them looked up and saw them. Whoa! You folks stay as far to the right as possible. Look out for falling rock. He shook his head and started to turn back to the other man, but when his eyes passed over Katrin, he stopped and watched her walk by. Hey! Wait! Katrin was tempted to simply keep walking. She had no time for interruptions, but something in his voice made her stop. Where'd you get that coat? he asked. I had one just like that. It even had the same tear on the shoulder. Rolf Tillerman gave it to me, Katrin said. Are you Martic? Yes, he said, his eyes going wide, and he grabbed Katrin by the arms. You saw my father? How was he? And my mother? And Jessup? Yes, Katrin said. I spent time with all of them. They're fine though they miss you dearly. Wait, I have something for you. Katrin reached into the coat pocket and pulled out the drawing Jessup had given her. It showed Martik with Katrin hovering over him, protecting him. Martik received it with wonder, and when he opened it, he was stunned. He stood for a moment with the look of a man whose thoughts were far away.
I promise I'll tell you more when I return, Katrin said, but I really must be. A loud cracking sound filled the valley, followed by shouting. As Katrin turned to look, she saw a large section of rock dislodge itself and roll forward until it crashed to the ground. Need help over here! Someone shouted, and everyone scrambled to help. Katrin watched as people lifted rocks away from where a man was trapped, but her eyes were drawn away, lured by a far more ghastly sight. Revealed by the fallen rock were flowing lines and graceful curves lit by an inner glow. Katrin recognized it immediately from the image that was burned into her mind. It was a statue of Terhilion. That concludes this episode of Dragon Ore. Hi, Brian Rathbone here, and I just want to say thank you to all of my listeners who've come so far with me in the Dawning of Power trilogy. We're just about through the final episodes of Dragon Ore. Can you believe it? Ah, I have a hard time believing it, but we're getting there. I want to ask a favor of all of my listeners. Please go out and leave a rating for the book on patiobooks.com or iTunes or Moby Pocket, or Smashwords, or maybe even a review on Amazon. Whatever your preference is, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend, tell your neighbors, tell the world. Thanks, everybody. It means a lot.